Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Oh, glory. I got a chainsaw in my, in my garage. And you tweak the little gas, you pump the little stuff, you know, you know. Now, I've, been, I've been pumping the stuff with her last night. Just pump it, prime it, you know, make sure it's oiled up. Uh, Father, we pull the cord of the Holy Ghost on Pastor Debbie's office and on Pastor Debbie's anointing. No, I'm, I know they're laughing, but I pull the cord by faith. And I thank you for divine utterance. I, you said to pray, Paul said to pray for bold utterance. So I thank you that she would speak forth as she ought to speak with bold utterance, that she wouldn't worry about hurting people's feelings or this sensitivity or that nonsense over there. Lord, let her speak forth as the oracles of God and let her tongue be that of a ready writer to write on the hearts of this congregation. You said this, these services today are connected and a part of this great conference and of the impartation we need for the new season that is ahead. So we open our hearts now to receive and we are going to respond and we're going to take what she preaches as a word from the heavens, from God's throne room to us. So we humble ourselves. If she corrects us, we will receive it. If she encourages us, we will be grateful for it. But Lord, whatever the chainsaw does, the tree is falling today. And I give you praise. In Jesus' name, Pastor, would you stand up and welcome Pastor Debbie Simon? Give her a big God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Well, you may be seated. And uh, just like I said last night, I want to uh, repeat myself and, and say that it's an honor and a privilege to be here to minister behind this holy desk. And I don't take it for granted. Uh, your pastors have a responsibility to know who is going to minister to you because you will not just receive impartations from the message that I give you, but you receive impartations from, from me. Because you're sitting and you opening yourself up to receive. And so uh, we have a responsibility to know that the impartations that are left are going to be good impartations. And so we take that seriously. And so since I know that we do and I know your pastors do, then I, I consider it a privilege and an honor that they trust me to minister to you. Amen. And so we're going to do our best to um, to obey the Holy Ghost this morning. Uh, when When we were in the meetings, you know, uh, Brother Hagen taught us that when you get into proximity, the Spirit of God begins to speak to you on different particular things. And when we got into the meetings, right away the Spirit of God began to deal with me as what direction to go to when it was my time to minister. And so I already knew ahead of time, and so uh, I'm going to do my best to just follow the Spirit so that you can receive what you need because this church, God has a design and a plan. He's taking you somewhere. And every time, you know, you're going to build, you got to, you have to uh, check the foundation. And I always tell people, you know, I'm not um, per se a theologian, you know, uh, what I give you, you know, it might not seem deep, but let me tell you something. If you don't get this, nothing else matters. If you don't get the basic foundation of how to have longevity in the plan of God, nothing else matters. I can tell you for a fact that there are people that are shipwrecked lives today that I knew personally that they were, they were, they were more eloquent preachers. The anointing on their life was stronger than mine. But they are not here today. They are not even serving God because they didn't get the basic foundations. 
And so it's important. Amen. Uh, let, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, we're so thankful for the precious Holy Spirit that there's a message to be delivered. There's an impartation uh, to, be, uh, to be brought forth. And I pray, Father, that their hearts are open to receive it, Father. And we'll all be blessed, Father, by what you do in this place. And so we give you glory and honor in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Uh, let me just give you just a little bit about me. Uh, you may not know that much you may want I don't know how much people watch meetings and whatever but whenever I go someplace new I want people to know who I am and uh, basically when I was about 25 years old I was raised a re very rebellious child not because my parents weren't strict and and were good parents but I just I rebelled because of different things and and so I did everything that people told me not to do and by 25 years old I was divorced I had two children I was in a, an adulterous relationship but I was shipwrecked in my life uh, sin that once had brought me pleasure it left me you know on the heaps the piles of uh, uh, with a lot of of regret and a lot of uh, uh, discouragement and oppression that's what sin does to you and uh, and I cried out to God and uh, and God rescued me he saved me I was in uh, I, I was in my bedroom and I woke up one morning and my daughters were not home they were with their father because when you're divorced it's every other weekend they have to you know and God never intended that so I woke up in the morning and I mean, I was just feeling very pressed about the decisions that I made and the life that I thought I wanted that I couldn't stand now. And I said to God, because I was raised Catholic, I wasn't raised in a spirit filled home. I was raised Catholic. So I had religion. And I said to God, I wasn't made to live like this. I wasn't made to live like this. I need your help. I can't go on any further. And the thing that burdened me is that now I have two children that are going to follow my example and live a life that is meaningless with a lot of pain in it if they follow my footsteps and live a sinful life. And so I cried out to God. And two years before this, I was in my living room. I was already contemplating my divorce because that was my choice. And I heard a man on television. Of course, I was raised Catholic, so we knew the difference between venial sin and mortal sin. I knew I'd passed venial. That's the little sin. And I had gone full, full board to the big sin, so I knew I'm done, you know. Because you understand we didn't have a revelation of the new birth. And so God's out to get you as far as, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we have the, the, the center on uh, guilt. You know, if you're a Catholic, you're taught to, to, guilty, you're guilty. And so I heard a man say something I'd never heard before. And he said, if God was in heaven sitting with a baseball bat ready to slap you upside the head the first time you did something, he would have already got you. I thought, well, yeah, he's a good shot, you know. He's gonna, if he wants to get you, he would have gotten you. And that was my first introduction to Brother Copeland. Two years later, I'm there, I'm agonizing. I just knew I, I, somehow I've got to find God. And when, when I woke up with this heaviness and in this anxious feeling, I thought, I remember somebody said something about God that, I, that I'd never heard before. 
And I knew I would recognize his voice, so I got up in the morning, and I went in and turned the television on because every sinner knows that, the, that Sunday morning is just full with church, so we don't get up and watch it until the movies come on later in the afternoon. We know every, every, every morning, you know, the first three hours or four hours on Sunday morning is church, 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 church. We knew that. So I got up and I thought this man must be on. So I'm, uh, you know, f- you know, surfing the channels. I don't find him. I go back. And of course, you know, I was living with a guy. He wasn't even my husband. And I said, I, 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 I've got to get a hold of God. I've got to, I can't live like this anymore. And of course he knew that I was Catholic. And of course he's hung over uh, from the night before. And he said, just give me a little bit of sleep and I'll take you to the little Catholic church and you can go in and do whatever you're going to do, you know, <laughs> appease your conscience. And I said, I, no, I, I, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for somebody to talk to me about God. I need to find out about God. I need God. And somebody's got to teach me how to get a hold of him. And so I got back up and I, you know, went to the television. And again, all of a sudden I heard this man's voice and I knew that voice. And it was Brother Copeland. And from that day on, I began to follow Brother Copeland. And in the process, I gave my heart to the Lord. And I knew that I needed teaching. I knew I needed somebody to help me live this life now that I wanted to live. It was going to be a different life. I got saved to be changed. I didn't get saved to stay the same. I didn't get saved to see how, uh, how close to sin I could get or how much sin I could still keep in my life. Sin brings nothing but torment and pain and destruction. And so I went to a community church first. It was a loving church, you know, coming out of a Catholic background. They do have messages. They sermonize. It was beautiful. But it wasn't the word teaching me how to renew my mind. So it took me about a year to find the the church that my husband and I now pastor. But I'm going to tell you something. Church was a lifeline to me. It, It was my rescue. Because once you're born again, you have to know how to live this life and live it successfully so that you can live it in joy and you can live it in peace and you can live it fulfilled. One thing that I understood without God, it was I wasn't fulfilled. There was a void on the inside of me. And so I got to this church and God began to deal with me about how I approached what he gave me. And so God taught me, you know, gave me a revelation on honor and esteeming what he brings into your life. And so everything that I teach has the flavor of honor to it. And so that's how we got to where we are today. Now, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. In 1999, I was going through a struggle. And the Spirit of God said to me, I'm going to work this thing out for you. I'm going to turn it for you. And I'm going to give you about 10 good years. And then I'm going to require more from you. So this was 1999. Now fast forward to 2009. And the spirit of God spoke to me at the end of 2009. He said, next year when you start going out. And I, I, I didn't really go out to minister. You know, there were some people that were locally pastors that knew me and they might invite me to a woman's conference to preach a night or two. Just, you know, people within 30, 40 miles. But to be out preaching in other churches, that, that really wasn't what I did. And so the Spirit of God said to me, you know, when next year when you begin to go out, he said, there's two things that I want you to minister on. He said, the first thing is honor and the second is finances. He hasn't released me to do finances yet. Since 2010, I've been ministering on honor everywhere I go. 
And he said, and I want you, uh, th this is your assignment. And of course, Dr. Dufresne encouraged me immensely in, in that area. And so I know what God has uh, required for me to deliver to a church. But as you have a plan, there's a plan for this church. There's a vision. There's some great things that God's going to do. But you have to have the right mindset so that you can embrace it. You can cooperate it, cooperate with it so that it can be fulfilled. Nothing is fulfilled with one man alone. It takes those that God brings around him. And whether you realize it or not, you're all handpicked. Amen. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to read out of the Amplified Translation starting in verse 1. Dr. Dufresne ministered this uh, shortly after this in the beginning of 2010 at a service that we went to. And when he went through this, because of course, you know, I've stayed in 2 Kings 4.8 about honor and the Shunammite woman. But when Dr. Dufresne ministered this to this in a service, the Spirit of God said, this is why I'm telling you to do what you're doing. Amen. Jesus went away from there and came to his own country and hometown, Nazareth, and his disciples followed with him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who listened to him were utterly astonished, saying, where did this man acquire all this? What is the wisdom, the broad and full intelligence which has been given to him? What mighty works and exhibitions of power are wrought by his hands? They recognized that he was doing something. They described it. What kind of power and authority is coming out of this man? Where does he get this revelation and the demonstration of power? And then they thought this, which is where people get tripped up. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and, and Joseph and Justa, Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here among us? And notice this, and they took offense at him and were hurt. That is, they disapproved of him and it hindered them, watch this, it hindered them from acknowledging his authority. And they were caused to stumble and fall. Do you understand that if you don't have the right approach to the things of God, that they won't work in your life? If you don't have the right attitude towards the office of the pastor, then that anointing is limited in how it can help you. Do you understand that the pastor laid hands on, on, on the children and anyone that had anything to do with the public sector where school is concerned and there is an anointing that's released as long as you accept it and have the right attitude and approach to it? Because if you don't, you hinder the power that can flow, for, flow to you from the office. It's all about how we receive it. It's not enough that the pastor is anointed. It's not enough that the word with revelation is being preached. It's what you do with it. And this is what God taught me from the beginning. I put you in a place so that you can grow and so that you can fulfill the plan that I have. And so that you can excel and you can increase. But it all has to do with the way you regard it and approach it. Notice that really what they're talking about here, it was their attitude. And I tell my church all the time, 
attitude with God is everything. Attitude with God is everything. You cannot do something uh, uh, with the wrong attitude. You can have all the right movements, but if the heart is not right, then it's worth nothing. Amen. Verse four, but Jesus said to them, he's telling them the problem now, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, deference or reverence, except in his own country and among his relatives and in his own house. Why? They were familiar with him. And they disregarded the power he flowed in. They disregarded the authority and the revelation because they brought him down to their level. Isn't this the kid that played down the street? Don't we know his siblings and don't we know who his parents were? How can he be walking in all this demonstration of power? So they saw the power, but they disregarded the power. They heard the revelation and were astonished, but it didn't affect them because of the way they perceived him. You know how powerful that is? That I could miss getting my miracle because of my attitude or my criticalness towards my pastor? I judge him or her, and when I need something, and I go up for that anointing that's in my local church and with my man and woman of God, I go in there for them to agree with me. But if my attitude towards them is not right, then, it, then, then I minimize the effect that that power can have. The people that get the most miracles in my church are the people that have the right regard for my husband and I. When they understand the office that we stand in, and they understand that it's been ordained by God. And they have that reverence and that regard. The power flows fully for them. But those that don't, it doesn't. And it's not on God's part. God's not stopping the flow to them. They are. And that's what we have to remember. If God has something for us to do, he needs us flowing in full power or receiving full power. You know, those that, you know, Pastor Nancy ministers to us. She's our spiritual mother, Dr. Dufresne. You know, when he was on the earth, he was acting as our spiritual father. You get that? But those that got the most from him were the ones that regarded and had a reverence for that office. Many came around, but not all received. Because many looked at the natural and discounted the supernatural office that had been ordained by God. Amen. And you have to watch that. It's just like church. If you're not careful, you can forget why we come to church. Because we do it repetitiously. And because we do it repetitiously, it can be just a casual thing. It can be just like a gathering. You know what I mean? Just, you know, hey, we come to church. That's what we do. And what we do when we come with that attitude is we short circuit how much the power of God can flow for hurting people because to us, it's a hangout. Let's just come and hang out together. 
We're going to come and talk to the people we haven't seen since the last service and we hang out and we forget that we are to be participators in the flow of the power of God for people to get delivered, for them to get healed, for them to receive revelation. We affect the atmosphere of what God can do. And that's why we have to understand our role. When we come to church, we need to come excited about what the Spirit of God is going to deliver to all of us. And that, and that can't get old. Because you never arrive knowing what God can do. You know, he's always got new things he can do. You, you're just never going to get bored of God if you are properly responding to him. So he said, but Jesus, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, deference or reverence, except in his own country and among his own relatives and in his own house. And he was not able, he was not able to do even one work of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sickly people and cured them. He was not able because of their attitude. Better get that. He, that power that flowed from him for the miraculous, couldn't flow because of their attitude. See, we constantly have to check our attitude. Check our attitude. Am I coming in understanding that I am part of the flow of God in every service? I may not be, you know, part of the worship team. I, I, I may not be the greeter. I may not be an usher. But I am here as a participator to come and to have expectancy that the power of God will flow. And it will flow for others and it will flow for me. You know, every time that I'm in a meeting with Pastor Nancy, when I get under, you know, my feeder, my spiritual mother, and, and, and before it was Dr. Dufresne, when I get, when there's anything that I am dealing with or, or when God wants to speak to me, many times he speaks to me right in the service when I'm at camp meeting or Holy Ghost meeting, and I could just be listening to the message, engaged, drawing, and then the, the Spirit of God will say something. Yes. When you go home. When you go home. I want you to do this, this, and this at your church. I want you to take care of this, this, and this. Why? Because I'm coming and I am drawing with expectancy so that others can receive. But while I'm doing that, guess what? I receive. And that's how church is supposed to be. We cannot come with a casual approach because people's lives are at stake. And now more so than ever. The church really is in its finest hour because people are going to wake up and understand how much they need the church. You know, we have a, a Christian school and, and, and really, you know, it's only, we have a small building, so there's only so many you can get in the building. So really it's just our congregation, those that want to send their kids there, is about all the room that we have. I can't tell you now how people are begging us in the secular they don't even care what we believe. They don't care. Just can I put my child in a safe place because of the laws that have changed in our country now and the things that they're teaching, you know, small children that they should never be teaching. People, because they love their children, are coming now. And you know what? They, well, I don't care what you believe. I mean, literally, what used to offend them before... Now, 
We have our male lady. And uh, for what, a couple years now? She's delivered our mail, and she says, you know, she had a, a, a toddler, and she was saying, do you take enrollment? No, we don't take enrollment, you know. Do you take enrollment? No. And she said, you know, this last week or something, she said, I am going to go and beg them one last time because her child is starting school for the first time. And she doesn't want her child subject to the mandates that are in place now. And so she said to her husband, I'm going to go and beg them one last time. Of course, she's a male lady. Okay. And I, I live in rural area and they only deliver our mail Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I could get a package, you know, jewelry, you know, stuff. And if it comes in late on Friday, it's not delivered. It stays at the post office Saturday, Sunday. I have to wait till Monday. I don't like that. So I started thinking, hmm, the mail lady, wonder if I get, you know, I get a little pull in there, you know. You know, because she's from the head office in our area, and then it goes out to rural. So I'm thinking, if she could just hold it there for me, I mean, I could pick it up, because the mail in town runs on Saturday. It just doesn't run where I'm at. So I'm thinking, of course, you know, it's bad. I get it. I'm just confessing. You know what I mean? Transparency, you know. So I tell my, my niece, I said, call her back. She said, I said, ask her first, is there a way that we can intercept our mail? Because it doesn't deliver on Saturday. And she said, yes, there is a way. You can sign something, and you can have it on there, and they can intercept it for you. And I, oh, okay. Now tell her if she would like to put her child, only because the, it's small toddler, you know. We don't have room for the bigger kids. We will make this exception. And I just thought to myself, you know what? Listen, this woman, she's begging us. But I thought to myself, we need a bigger facility. Because people want to stay, want to keep their children out of what's going on. And really the church should be in a place where we can help them. And in the meantime, it's an inroad to them. So, you know, I thought, hey, listen, she may, she may accept it. She may not. She came. She looked around. She's rearranging her schedule. And on Tuesday, her child, how old is the baby? It's, it's preschool, huh? So forward, so they're going to be starting better. Her and her husband came, and you know they were so overjoyed. And you know that's kind of refreshing because you know people want to just stay away from church people. Yeah. And you know we got the plague. You know, like oh, church. You know, and this is like we don't care. How many of you know God's working there? My point is, is that people need what we have. And we need to be sober that we are cooperating with the spirit as church members. And let me say this to you. The revelation that God gave me, he did not give it to me as a pastor. He gave it to me as a church member. God began to talk to me about regarding the offices because he placed them in my life to help me. And the, the, the attitude and the regard that I would have for the offices would determine what I got out of them. God said to me this one time, he said, Debbie, how do you treat a gift that I've given you? And he began to say, you know, there are gifts that different people give you. There's a gift that your husband would give you, which is more precious to you. You know, you have friends and they may buy you something that you like, but it wouldn't be as precious because of the relationship that you have. So there are certain people that you have a certain relationship with them and what they give you is more precious to you. 
Not that you don't like everything, but it means more. And God said to me, and, and, and telling me all that, he said, what about the gifts that I give for you, give to you? And he took me to Ephesians. He said, I've given you gifts. How do you treat my gifts? My gifts. The Bible says he gave gifts unto men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. How do you entreat the gifts that I have given you? Well, of course, I'm going to treat them as precious. I'm going to esteem them. I'm going to care for them. You know, we have real jewelry and we have costume jewelry. If... You know, I buy, you know, a, a piece of costume jewelry from just some department store. You know, I could just lay it around anywhere. But, you know, a diamond that my husband bought me, it's a whole different story. I'm going to care for it. I'm going to clean it. I'm going to make sure that I put it in the right place. You know, when I take it off, when I get home, I know where it's at at all times. I treat it differently. And God said, that's what I expect from you to my gifts that I've given you. You treat them differently. So nobody has the place in my life that the gifts that God's given me have. So he's given me a pastor. No relationship in the church is more important than my relationship with my pastors. I, I, listen, I don't, I, I, and I'm talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about being a pastor right now. I'm talking about being a church member. I never let any relationship that I had in the church mean more to me than the relationship that I had with my pastor and the regard that I had for his family. None. Because if they get offended, I'm not leaving with them. And so the minute they don't regard what I regard, then we have no, no common uh, ground for fellowship. When you criticize my pastor, I don't have anything to say to you anymore. Listen, I love you with the love of the Lord by faith. I, I'm not going to be mean to you, but I'm not going to be around you. Because you don't treasure what I treasure. And I'm not going to get caught up in some relationship, car, you know, fleshly relationship that can't do anything for me. And forfeit what God has given me. And this is something that people don't understand in the church. They come together and they kind of gather together, you know, they're drawn to one another. And then if one person's offended, you don't understand, it affects everybody else. Don't you ever develop a relationship in the church that's greater than the relationship you have to the gift that God gave you. That God gave you. This is what people forget. God gave this gift. This is not, this is not man ordained. This is God ordained. And if you don't keep that regard, you don't understand. You, you forfeit all of the flow of blessing that could come to your life. And I'm not saying that you don't have any blessing at all, but it's a, it, you'll only have a measure. It's like you clog up the pipe. God's a merciful God. He's always trying to get something to you, always. But if you clog the pipe, when you could have had a free flow, and now you just have drops coming, that's on your side. And so this is what we have to understand. I have to have the right uh, approach and the right attitude Towards what God ordained in my life. When Dr. Dufresne came into our life, we knew it was God ordained. It was a rescue. 
And we always entreated him as such. We knew God sent this man to us. He sent this office to us to rescue us. We will never let anything be more important than the connection that God brought to us to throw us a lifeline, to throw us a life raft, a rescue. And so our fellowship, when we got into the fellowship and we began to fellowship with people, we always understood that if we ever heard anything that sounded like they didn't care for the gift to the same measure that we cared for it, then we didn't have fellowship with them anymore. And that doesn't mean that you don't say hi to people and you don't hug them when people tell you to turn around and hug people. No, it's just that you think you don't regard what I regard. When you can be casual and, and even make, you know, jokes about the, the, the voice that God brought in your life. And, you know, when you joke about someone, you know, in a degrading way, it tells a lot about what's in your heart. So when you bring them down to a human level, I know they are human. But I'm regarding the office and the anointing. But when you bring them down to a human level, then really you have no understanding of how precious and what I needed and how and God decided who the delivery person was. Everything about what God has taught me has been with this in mind. He brought it into my life. I need to regard it. He took me to a church where I was increasing, blessing, revelation. So I need to protect my place in that church. Why? Because that's where he ordained for me to be. Amen. Let me take you to uh, Jeremiah 23. This is Sunday morning, right? Jeremiah 23. Uh, starting in verse 3. He says, and I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries, whether I have driven them and will bring them again to watch this, their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. So when we are properly connected to the voice that God has authored for our life, our shepherd. For those of us in ministry, it's our spiritual father or mother. When we are properly connected, this is what happens. You know what? We're, we're fruitful. We're in our fold. We increase. We are being fed. You know what? Fear is driven away because of the revelation knowledge that comes and because of the anointing on their life and the mantles on their life. All these things are taken care of, but you know they're taken care of in an invisible realm. Most of the time, people don't even know how protected they are just because they're part of the local church. We will be dismayed we are, or we won't be confused anymore. Clarity comes when you are planted in your local church and you maintain the right attitude towards what God said was for your development. The local church is to help you develop so that you can do the will of God. Think about that. We're not, we didn't get born again just to live aimlessly. We got born again because he's got a job that needs to get done. And we are here enlisted in, you know, in his plan and purpose. 
And so many times people, when they come to church, and I try to remind my people all the time, we're, we're not a religion. We're the church of the living God. So don't come in just because you do it so many times a week and treat it like it's, you know, the Elks Club or the Kiwanis Club. You can't treat it like that because there's power in what we're doing. And this power affects our whole lives and our families. It affects our, our, our health. It affects our finances. It affects everything about us. And so we are to embrace it. And we are to esteem it. And, and then, you know, last night I went over that God sets a man. I can't tell you how many people over the years I, we saw come against our pastor not take counsel and how many people were literally shipwrecked there was this one man he came to my husband and he said you know uh johnny because we he, my, you know we were not pastors we weren't associate pastors he was a, a lead usher and he said you know johnny i've heard that you you know you have a lot of wisdom about you know investments and you know i i came into an inheritance a a a, a a chunk of money and I'm looking where do I go to get the best yield for it and he said well brother there's no better yield than the local church uh, no 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 I, <laughs> I'm not talking about that I'm I'm talking about r a real investment he said brother I'm talking about a real investment seek the Lord and see how much of that he would tell you to put into the local church. You just got a chunk of money. And then after that, brother, you know, the wisdom of God will help you to discern where else to put that money. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what, that's not what I came to you for. He didn't tithe. He didn't put anything in it. He put it in an SNL. And I don't know if you remember in the 80s, he lost every bit of his $40,000 back in the 80s, every bit of it. Every bit of it. But that wasn't the only thing. He left the church because, of course, tithing offended him. He left the church. His stepson got into an accident coming home from school with his two sisters. One of them was ejected out of the car. The sister died. The son, they, they prosecuted him for what is it involuntary manslaughter he had to do time someone that did not regard the place of anointing and the place of safety that he had later years later he came back by the church you know just random stopped in you know oh you know our, our staff was there you know Hey, so are Johnny and Debbie still here? You know, oh, you mean Pastor Johnny, Pastor Debbie? Yeah, they're still here. You know, well, I used to come to this church, and you know, he gave his name, and of course, come to find out, he's divorced. He lost his family. He didn't understand that there was a protection that keeps these things away from us if we entreat the things of God properly, and, and it's so important that we understand that, and it's so important that we cooperate with the man that God has given the vision to. This is, is so vital. You know, I tell people all the time, I said, listen, if you're going to bring your supply to the pastoral, uh, to the, to the pastoral office, if you're going to bring your supply, you need to be adaptable. 
You know, I always take the account of the, the, the great woman because it said that as often as he passed by, she constrained him. Now, you understand, I tell people, listen, there was no microwave in those days. There was no, you know, if she's going to make a meal for him, it's a big deal. But she stopped what she was doing when he showed up. And she inconvenienced herself every time to be hospitable to him. She didn't, you know, no cell phones. Hey, I'm coming through. You know, can I have lunch with you? Want to fellowship a little bit? No. Whenever she saw him, she rearranged her whole schedule so that she could regard who he was. And when she finally realized he is a man of God, of course, then she went above and beyond. See, there's one thing about being hospitable and generous to just congregation members or family members or whatever, but the offices is a whole nother level. And I don't want to get in trouble there. I don't want you to put, you know, put the brakes on me, but though she could offer someone else a meal, the man of God, she's going to build a room for. And you know what? That's not there by accident. It's for our example. When she said, I perceive that he is a holy man of God, let us, let us make him a room and let's furnish it. Before she perceived that she was being hospitable, she was inconveniencing herself to make a meal. And of course, you understand they had to do a lot more to make a meal than we got to do to make a meal. You can't take somebody to the restaurant and you can't put, you know, a Swanson's TV dinner in the oven or the microwave or whatever. That's I'm dated, you know, I, you know, I don't know what they have now. I don't even know if they make TV dinners anymore. But I do know that they make oven pizzas, you know, that you can just throw in the oven because my grandson loves them. But you understand she entreated him in a different way, but she adapted herself she inconvenienced herself. If you're going to bring your supply to the local church, be ready to be adaptable and inconvenience yourself. But it won't be for anything because the rewards of us, uh, 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 of us being liberal in our supply are tremendous. And they're not just financial. Oh, they're, they're so far past that. You know, that woman later on, she not only gets her son, she gets him raised from the dead, but later on, something happens in the economy, in the nation. Man, she is spared from that. And when she gets back, she gets everything retro. Now, you talk about a 401k. Her relationship with the man of God provided for her extremely. And people forget to look at that. When my husband and I, when we first, when the pastor left us the church and we started pastoring, well, of course, you know, people want to try to engage with us now in this office, you know. And so this one couple, you know, said, you know, okay, you're the pastors now. We want to do something nice for you, you know. Oh, okay. Can we cook you a meal once a week? Okay. But we were in the middle of, you know, uh, trying to get our building up to code. You know, we're down there all the time. We're practically living at the church, you know. They're putting sheetrock. They're doing all kinds of things so that the, the, um, city would give us our permit so that we could actually have church in our building. And so we were down there a lot. We weren't home very much. And so, you know, they would call and say, what day is good? Well, what day is good for you? You know, I don't want to make those decisions. You know, just bring me a meal. I'll eat it. <laughs> what would you like to eat? I don't know. What do you make? I mean, I'm just, I literally, I'm just, I don't like, there's a lot of decisions that I make, but that's not one of them. You know what I mean? 
You put something good in front of me, I'm going to eat it. But to make a decision of like, I'm longing for, you know, <laughs> your casserole of whatever, you know. <laughs> then, okay, once she got the day and she got the menu, then they wanted to know what time we were going to be home. Because we want to bring it hot. Well, I don't know what time we're going to be home. I mean, we could be home at five. We could be home at seven. We could be home at eight. I don't know. Could you just take it by the house? We had one of these benches on the porch, and it was a deep set in porch where you could open it, and it's kind of like a chest, you know. Just put it in there. We'll warm it up when we get home. No, 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 no. We, we, we want to, whatever time you get home. I mean, after a while, it's like, oh, my God, no. No, it's Tuesday again. <laughs> no, it's the meal. It's the meal. <laughs> Not the meal. You were not adapting yourself for me. If you were satisfied in what you were doing, it was not a blessing to me. A blessing should be a blessing. She would have done better by saying, listen, I'll cook you a meal. I'll take it over to the church. You either eat it there or take it home, whatever. But no, it's like, no, we want to serve it. And we, no, no, but that's not a blessing to me. Sometimes we come into the church and we want to bring our supply the way we want to bring it. And it's not really a blessing. It's a hassle. When you bring your blessing, make sure it's a blessing. Which means what? Which means I get to know what my pastor likes. And I find out what he doesn't like. You know... It, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but I will. Okay. I'm a bottom line gal. When people come up to me in my church and they want agreement and they tell me 10 yards of why they need this agreement, you lost me. You lost me. I'm, my, my, I'm sounding for the thing. That's, uh, you know, I'm, that's just me, you know. I, what do they say? I don't know. Why? Because they lost me. But then there are other people that they want to be expressive. So what you do is you find out what works with your pastor. And then you adapt yourself to that. This is how we become the supply that we need to be. It's not how we want to do it. It's what's going to land best with them. The, these things, you know, nobody talks about them very much, but, but it is about your attitude and your approach to the local church. There are people that will say, I, I want to serve. Okay, you know, do you have any, you know, any skills or whatever? Well, you can just put me anywhere. Okay, so you try to put them somewhere and they don't want to be there. Well, can we, can we use you in the children's church? Well, that's not really what I wanted to do. Well, then you really didn't want to bring a supply. Because we need you where we need you. And maybe it's temporary. When my husband and I got to the church, it was a very small church, about 35, possibly 40, and we'd be packed out. It was a, a big warehouse, but they had only, you know, um, sheetrocked it, you know, for a small sanctuary. Later, you know, we began to use the whole building in a short amount of time. But, you know, in that small, you know, 
numbers, they, they didn't hardly have any ministry of helps. You know, at one point, they asked my husband and I to go into the nursery. And so, you know, the nursery workers didn't show up. So him and I were in suit and a dress, and we got these babies, you know. I mean, why? That's what they needed. Now, you know what? We would have loved to have been sitting under the word. But when we got there, the secretary said, I have nobody for the nursery. They didn't show up. Can you guys go in there? Sure. Sure. If that's what you need, that's what we're going to do. Why? Because we're going to get blessed by fulfilling the need. See, these are the things that people, they, 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 they take for granted. And it's crucial that we understand that when God's got a vision, when he's given a vision and a mandate, that we hook up properly to it. God sets a man or a woman. It's like Pastor Nancy. You know, when when Pastor Nancy began to go on uh, the broadcast and she began to, you know, she's going to now have to um, tape her, her services, immediately I realized this is going to take a lot of her time, which means that she may not be available to come to my church as many times as we've had her. She would come because she's right down in California. She would come about three times a year. You know, kind of one in the spring and one in, you know, the mid, you know, fall. Then she would come in December. And I realized, you know what? Things are changing. You know, I'm not going to be offended or I'm not going to. I'm preparing myself that that the course of things are changing. And I'm going to flow with that because I don't want her to feel like, you know, she's disappointing me when she's got other things to do. You know, Dr. Dufresne, we, God, we had him almost every other month, if not every month. We had him maybe eight times a year, sometimes 12, you know, probably the least is six. We put him on the calendar three times, and he would call us in between. We were in California. It was just right down the road, so to speak. You know, Pastor Nancy, it was different. But then when the, 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 the shift came, then I realized she's not going to be as available, besides the fact that other churches that don't know her are going to want her. So it's like, you think to yourself, things are changing. I'm going to have to get ready to adapt myself to this next flow that's going. And I'm going to be okay with it because things change. And I'm not, and I'm not going to be getting less. You get it? Just because things change doesn't mean I'm getting less. And so I realized, you know, hey, so, you know, we put her on the calendar, you know, once a year. Now, at the end of the year, she does some several churches in, you know, uh, our, in our area. And, of course, I tell her, Pastor Nancy, if God ever says anything to you and you want to come, you know, you just go ahead and call. You, you're, you're open anytime. But I want to be mindful that for her to do what God has called her to do, there's some changes. And I'm okay with changes. If you are moving into another level, this is what the, the Spirit of God was saying. This is a watershed moment. This, you're going to look back and say, those, those were then, and now we're moving into now. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Change is going to come. And if change comes, it's very unsettling to people. Right away, people get intimidated when you've got to do things different. If they become territorial, and they don't want anybody else to, to handle what they have, their little spot that they've taken care of for years. And, and now change comes and we've got to get different people to do different things. And you're setting your ways. Let me tell you something. You will stop or hinder 
the movement that God wants to make. And you have to watch that. If you've been doing something for so long, because the tendency is for us to think negatively. You don't want me to do it anymore? Did I do a bad job? You know, you know, have I been messing up? No, we're just changing. We're just changing. This is what people need to understand. And when you change, guess what? You get to learn something new. You know, for a while now, I would tell my staff, I, I'm, I'm really tired of everybody, you know, just knowing one thing. We had to diversify. I mean, we, you, two or three people need to know what you're doing because if something ever happens, and we're not predicting that, but if something ever happens, people, other people need to know. Well, you know, we were kind of slow at administering that. So we had a young lady that she had a near-death uh, episode. She had an infection. I mean, like overnight, she was in the hospital. She was in critical condition. And I mean, there were like five people that had to do what she did. I mean, you know, we, we had to figure out, okay, well, okay, you can do the bulletin. Okay, you can do this over here. You can do, you know, she taught in the school. She did things in the office. You know, there were certain, you know, supplies that she went to get. And so now we're getting people to put them in those spots that hadn't done it before. They had to learn how to do it. Now, you know, we should have been prepared for that. But when she came back, I told her, I said, listen, we're not doing this again. Everything is going to be diversified. You know what I mean? You're, everybody is going to know how to do everything. So you don't get, you know, stuck that you're the only one and you become territorial. Sometimes people become territorial. That's not going to work in the next flow. Because in the next flow, you understand that God is adding on. And then we have to learn to work with new people that we've never worked with before. And we've got to keep this sense of unity and this excitement and the momentum that's going. And I'm telling you, a bad attitude is not going to fly in the next place. Why? Because he said he could not. He could not. Why? Because of their attitude towards him. It said they didn't have that reverence or that regard for him. And he recognized it. And basically, he said it was their faith issue. When you read it, it said it was a faith issue. And people don't understand if you don't believe, you're hindered in what you regard. You have to believe that this is your church. You have to believe that God placed you here. You have to believe that this is your man and woman of God and that God has designedly picked them for you. And then you have to be ready to take corrections when they bring them. Why? Because your development is all about them helping you get carnal and fleshly things out of your life that would hinder your success and advancement in the things of God. And let me just tell you something. I have found that people that think that they're called outside to do their own thing never stay under long enough. They never stay under long enough. And here's what I try to tell people. When you think you're called to do something else, you better watch how you served. Because there is... A law. Don't be fooled. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. 
Whatever you sowed, how you approached and how you did for another man is what will come to you. So if you did not serve well, guess what you got coming to you when you step out on your own? If you were critical and indifferent, guess what's coming to you? David honored a man. He served with honor and with reverence and regard. Not that he didn't even make a mistake, but when he made a mistake, he, he, he repented. But God had to raise up a nation to serve him because he served one man so well. This is, these are the things that we need to, to evaluate. How do I approach what God's placed in my life? How do I esteem the offices that God's put? And primarily for the local church, it's how do you esteem the office of the pastor? How do you regard it? How do you adapt yourself to it? How do you assist it? And you can't do that without praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost will give you insight as to be able to discern the changes and how you, 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 you need to, 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 to see what works and what doesn't work. You know, I think all of us that are around Pastor Nancy, we come around her and we're just looking and listening. How can we better serve her? What does she say that's a desire that we can fulfill for her? I believe that most of us that are really connected we are, we come alert. How can I be an assist to her? What does she say that she wants that we can make happen? And because of that, because of that, our lives are filled with miracles and we're tremendously blessed. And most of us that are really close really are more interested in what she's accomplishing and knowing that because of our interest in helping her, God is going to fulfill what he's got for us to do. It's the way that we help her that makes the difference. And this is what's important about coming to a local church. That you don't come just to hang out. That you come engaged. Ready to participate in one of the greatest things that God said was for your life. And for the lives of others. Because Dr. Dufresne said to us, the precious fruit of the earth is going to be put in strong local churches. Which means we are preparing to serve a whole nother group of people that are going to come. And they're going to need us to be an example of the right attitude and the right approach to spiritual things. If you treat them as nothing, if somebody comes in new and you're hanging out with them and the pastor's got a guest speaker on Sunday night, but you went out to lunch with these friends that are new and uh, you all decided to do something and decided not to come back to service, you know what you said to them? That what the pastor deemed as important is not important and you didn't even have to say a word. By example, you showed them. Oh, I've got people all the time that they gather with these different people and they go out and they do things and they all miss church together. You know, I realize people go on vacation. 
But you know, sometimes people gather people to go. And you're going, did you think about the local church before you all decided to do this together? And I'm, I'm not talking about a one-time thing. I'm talking about a continual thing that y'all do together and you take so many families out of the church. Not caring who comes and who's need, who needs something because you treated it as optional. The local church and services are not optional. Not when you can be here. I get people have work schedules, you know, and I, my, my people are really good to tell me, you know what, I'm going to be working out of town. If I do make it, I'll probably have to come in with my work clothes, you know, from wherever I'm at. Hey, I get that. No problem. But they're communicating with me because they want me to know that they are not disregarding the gathering. Most of them say, you know what, we, we called into the office and we checked the calendar to see what events we're having. And, you know, it's our anniversary and we're going to go away. We, we realize that there's nothing going on, but we just wanted to make sure with you, Mom, that, oh, listen, have a good time. I, I, listen, I want people to enjoy life. But I want to know that their heart is first and foremost to the things that God has brought in your life. Regard and esteem it as the, it's, the, it's the ultimate. Nothing compares to it. Amen. Well, pastor, I think I'm, we've got part two tonight. I'm not done. Amen. I did not ask her to preach that sermon. Did you notice that she said when she arrived at the meetings and was sitting with, under Pastor Nancy that God spoke to her what to preach this morning? So this is not me saying, oh, would you please say that? I don't do that. We don't do that anyway. But the Holy Ghost is saying that. And why? Because of what's coming. Listen, we have a wonderful church. We, we have a wonderful church. So don't in any way uh, think that, um, that something is somebody or anybody, me, her, or anybody is trying to say. Because Pastor talks a lot about, Pastor Nancy, about honoring the local church. And, you know, if you listen, she, had, she didn't preach an entire sermon on it, but there's nuggets that come out multiple times about how you're treating the local church, how you're treating your pastor. None of that is ever meant to try to hurt you or try to make you feel guilty. It is to try to elevate you, try to renew your mind to think. You know, Jenny, I went to Evangel Temple. Some of you here, I know John Christie and others and Wayne, Wayne Rutledge and others were, they knew me when I was a little rat running around the hallways. John would stop me from playing the fool. I'll never forget it. He'd say, now listen, young man, you need to, and I wish I had the word of wisdom operating in my life, and I could have said, I'm about, I'm going to be your pastor now. You better watch how you talk. <laughs> but listen, I mean, I grew up at Evangel Temple when I came to Canada from Africa. I grew up there, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, uh, the bigger the church gets, the more everybody has to help. Yeah. Because you can't sustain with just a little bit, right? And I'm, and, and, and I'm not saying we're going to be Avenger Temple. I'm just saying increase is coming because God's been talking about it. But I want to say this. I love my pastor, Pastor Bud. He was very precious to me. I loved him. He was not a word of faith man. He had Jerry Savellan every year. He was open to faith, but he never really taught the message of faith like Dad Hagen. That's why I learned it from Dr. Dufresne, not from him. But I tell you, uh, but I never got this teaching. I don't remember times where, 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 where Pastor Bud Williams would... would 
as wonderful as a pastor, and I, he was a wonderful pastor, but I, I, never, I don't remember ever growing up where he would have a sermon like this about how to, how to treat the local. I mean, he talked about the local church, but not kind of from this vein about, and you know why? You know why? And most pastors tell me, you know, we, we, don't, we don't really talk about that in our church. And you know why? Because it can seem to the congregation that it's self-serving. That's why pastors don't talk about this. Because they don't want people to think, well, I'm telling you to be kind to me or to do something for me or to honor me because that seems very selfish. But, it, but, we, but that's why very few pastors ever talk about it. That's why Pastor Bud rarely, from, at least from my memory, never really hit it. If he did hit it, it was very light. It was not, like, it was not direct like, like this. But we have to do it because it's not self-serving. It's because it's in the Word, and Jesus cannot do things if you're familiar. And we want Jesus to do things for your life. Hallelujah. And so that's why we have to be bold about it and not worry about people accusing our motives and say, well, you're trying to get something. No, if you knew the heart and if you knew the word, you'd know we're trying to elevate the congregation. I'm sure CNN of Elijah's day had on their, on their they didn't have it, but you know what I mean? I'm sure the town crier was making the first thing on his bullet point was Elijah prophet steals woman's food who's dying. You know, the, the, see, they're only after your money. See, that prophet, she took her last meal. That prophet took her. See, local church is after your money. You see, there's always that negative, always trying to say that we're after some selfish gain. But what they didn't mention was that that woman had a miracle and survived the famine and, and, and the, the oil never ran out. See, they won't put that on their bulletin. They'll just talk about how the prophet or the man of God or the preacher or the pastor or the local church trying to take something from you. But they won't talk about what you got from it. And that's why we're trying to say you can get something from this. You, 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 my life has been changed. Hallelujah. God's blessed me. God's helped me. Areas I've never told anybody but my wife. And sometimes I'll say, Lord Jesus, why are you so kind to me? I'm telling you the truth. I say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand. I don't feel like I deserve this, what you've done for me. I don't even know where it came from. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit will whisper to me and he, said, and he won't even comment on what I've said, although he's answering what I've said, but he doesn't give it the answer the way you would think. And I'll hear him whisper and say, thank you for taking care of Pastor Nancy. I'm talking to him about why he's blessing me, and the answer is, thank you for taking care of your pastor. Then you start to connect dots and go, oh, I sow into somebody else, and God sows into me. I reap a harvest from God to me. This is not a manipulative thing. We're trying to help elevate because God wants to get a cruise of oil into your life that never runs dry. He wants an anointing to flow that at three in the morning or when you're in another city or your marriage hits a hard time or your kids, he wants that cruise of anointing flowing all the time for you, but it's connected. So praise God. Hallelujah. Pastor Debbie Masterful. Uh, masterful, just like last night. We don't just say that lightly. We say that sincerely. If you're listening today, you've got answers. Heavenly Father, the congregation, Lord, you're taking us to a higher level. You're taking us further. Lord, next year won't look like this year. I already know next year is going to look different because the vision goes forward. The plan, the greatness of your plan is being fulfilled. And Lord, changes, like with Pastor Nancy, changes are coming to us. 
that is not lessening anything in their lives. It's just things are changing, but in a good way. We can't always stay the same. We've got to roll with God. We've got to go with the flow of what God's plan is. And Lord, we can't do it without all hands on deck, everybody committed, everybody engaged, everybody coming to participate, not just to hang out and to blank out in the sermon, but Lord, we're coming with a heart to receive, a heart to engage, a heart to serve, a heart to sow, a heart to worship. And Lord, not only and on top of of all of that, we want to bring somebody with us who doesn't have this life flowing in their life. Maybe they're saved, but they go to a dead church and they don't know what we know. Maybe they're not saved and they need that power of God. Lord, the days are changing. The horizon is bright with increase. And I thank you, Lord, for this word to help establish and strengthen our foundation and to, Lord, to, to get some of the basics reestablished in people's hearts and minds. It is so easy to forget these things. And I'm deeply grateful, Holy Ghost, for the words that you put in her mouth today. We give you glory and we give you praise.